Psalm 103, and it's a song for all seasons. And this is about uh, one of David's uh, messages, one of David's psalms, as it were, one of his songs. Um, and what we're, we're looking at in particular uh, is, in our whole life, a whole Bible series, is, is what does this say to us about answering some questions about healing, about the purpose of being crowned? Because in this, uh, certainly in this psalm, we, we hear of being crowned with something. Um, the fear of the Lord, that, that, that is a very uh, difficult issue in some respects to understand. Uh, difficult thing, a concept that people may, certainly Christians may not grasp, um, certainly non-Christians. But what about faithfulness? And then ultimately, what about the sovereignty of God? And so I hope that in this uh, we'll get some uh, answers to things that maybe we've been looking at, uh, maybe we've been questioning and thinking, well, what, what does that mean? How does that work? Uh, and certainly in this time, I hope it just uh, brings us some truth uh, and that God will show you uh, in that what, what you need to, what we all need to understand. So um, let's look at uh, Psalm 103. Uh, and it goes like this. It says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my uh, inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how, he, how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children, children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. So, as I said at the start of this, what we're looking at today uh, is this uh, is a few things really, and and they are about healing, they are about the purpose of being crowned, what that looks like, and that then we look at revelation, uh, the fear of the Lord. What is what is fear of the Lord? Am I just scared of the Lord? Am I just coming to faith because I'm just scared? Um, and then faithfulness and sovereignty and understanding as a Christian that we kind of have to lay aside all our wants, all our own desires, and give them to God and say, God, what out of this serves you and honours you? 
So that, that's what we're going to look at. But before we get into our reading uh, fully, uh, before we get into anything, I want us just to uh, take in the first two verses of our reading today. Uh, and it says this. Um, sorry, it's not there. Um, but it says here in verses uh, 1, it says verse, verse 1, sorry, it says verse 1. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Here we have it right here. It says, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Uh, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Awesome. What David does here, as we get straight into this message, because this message as you probably understand from the subject matter, it is, is quite, quite technical. Um, we just need to focus on the message as I kind of deliver it here. It's, um, we jump around a little bit, but I just need you to, to stay focused uh, for maybe this next half an hour or so. We just go through this word very carefully um, and just make sure we understand what David's doing here. So in this particular point, when David says, praise the Lord my soul, or my, or my inmost being, Praise his holy name, praise the Lord my soul, forget not all his benefits. What, he's, what he here is essentially doing is, is what we should all be doing when we come to praise our Lord and Saviour. What he's doing is summoning his whole being to worship God. It's not enough that we just simply just come to sing songs when we come to church and maybe this time is about a reassessment of that how do we do church where's maybe hitting the reset button not just recreating going back to what we did but how is it that we're we're going to do church in a different way it's not enough that we simply just come to sing songs um, with really nice words about God David says I will drum up my whole being to point towards and worship my creator God this principle in the very outset sets the tone and message for the rest of the psalm this worship isn't by the way what is proven by an outward display either by what appears to be a lack of engagement or a zealousness for worship for summoning the soul I believe is a different experience for each and every one of us we need to be careful we don't fall into the trap of legalism when we assess ourselves, but more so when we inevitably see others worshipping. Rather, there should be a zeal in us that wants to draw all of ourself into praise and worship of God. How that displays outwardly is secondary, as anyone could pretend. Anyone could, could pretend to be praising God from the outside, but actually... Uh, that's not where God sees it. Um, and, and this is how the Bible puts it when it talks about, uh, in regards to prayer, but certainly we do this in worship, don't we, as well? And we see in Matthew 6, verses 5 to 8, and it says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward 
in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I really think that these, uh, what these verses actually mean uh, is not to, not to physically do them in the sense that Jesus, what Jesus has done is use two extremes in order to make a point. I believe Jesus is describing a power in humility and teaching a way of practicing humility, uh, which, by the way, has a connection with the fear of the Lord, which we'll get to. But what we can understand from just these first two verses is something that will run through the rest of this psalm. Praise, adoration, acknowledgement and perseverance. In the verses here in Matthew, certainly what we're seeing is this example, as it were, of, of not using this to say uh, that means I have to do this very thing. Actually, what God is saying is don't let pride get into your prayer. Don't let pride get into your, your outward uh, behavior as it were that actually you're going to be seen as the one who's so wise now there's nothing wrong with giving uh wise words as it were that came from god and comes through the holy spirit um but certainly we need to be careful we're not we don't get carried away on things um and actually that we're always honoring god in this and that's that's where we come back to this message in psalm 103 that it's actually about this this praise and adoration this sense of i'm gonna i'm coming into the presence of an awesome powerful god and I, and I love those verses in matthew that just say just be still when you pray close the door and pray to your father close the door to the outside close the door to distractions and pray to the father in heaven so let's take a look at our next verse that speaks of healing and forgiveness. And of course, this is um, a challenging uh, subject, especially now at this time that we're looking at uh, Corona and we're looking at all this sort of sense of healing. But this thing has always been around in terms of healing diseases. What does it mean? What does God, what does God want us to know? And so in verse three, it says, who forgives all your sins? and heals all your diseases. Now, heal, the healing of diseases in, in this verse, some believe to be physical and some believe to be spiritual. Uh, as I read the whole psalm, I concluded really that it's, it's about both. And we, we know that if you listen to David Pawson, he really gives a good case about the differences in terms of uh, the Old Testament and that though, when, when they, they speak of the body and and healing actually this was always about the body and the spiritual and then when we moved into the greek actually there was a sense of taking these things apart and analyzing them individually so actually my belief just in seeing this is really about both spiritual and physical and the whole of psalm 103 is a, is a constant interchange of spiritual and physical the first example we just had uh, when david summons his soul and his inmost being that first example where it's, 
It's about the practical. It's about the, 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 the body, as, it's, as, it, as it were. He's not leaving behind the physical, but he's also not leaving behind the spiritual, that there's a sense of a, a spirit within us that's maybe fighting, as it were, for our attention. Uh, and that's, the, that's not the Holy Spirit, by the way, in that sense. But we, we do get distracted and drawn away, and there is an attempt to draw us away. But the word being itself, the word being, means both something that exists as well as essence and personality. So I think this fits nicely in with Psalm 103 in that we're looking at both parts coming together and, and God is looking at, or David is certainly acknowledging, um, this sense of both physical uh, and spiritual. But this healing is really important to keep in context. For many say that this is simply about the physical. The problem with that is that as beings who live on this planet, it inevitably leads to the question, uh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not healed. I have pains, I have terrible burdens, I have terrible pains, I, uh, that, and, I, and I've had people pray over me, and I've had people trying to heal me, and people lay hands on me, and I've not been healed. Or maybe I have been healed and then not permanently. And I want to be clear um, that what I'm, not, I'm not making the, the text trying to fit the point here so as to make a case against the physical healing through laying of hands or whatever way God does it. Rather, I'm trying to avoid us spiralling into an aloof theology that removes any connection from word, from the word, and the connection it is designed to make with the believer uh, or future believer. So what, in my view, does David mean when he speaks of God healing all our diseases? It would be true to say that God can heal all diseases, both physical and spiritual, because he is God. He has command over all things. Absolutely, he can. It would be true to say that he can heal both. But it would also be true to say that God does not always do that. So he can and does do that because he's all-powerful, but he doesn't always do it because he is sovereign. I'm going to show you a verse here which just, uh, uh, that just so emphasises my point here, but also I do just want to, um, something that came to mind, I was watching uh, a, a kind of conference, as it were, there were about four or five um, of these well-respected pastors, sort of people like John Piper and Francis Chan and, and maybe a few others, but there was a guy on the end, I can't remember his name, and he was talking about how uh, he... Uh, had you know his great ministry and everything and, and one day he was struck down with this um, sort of terrible back problem I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember the details exactly but effectively it, it kind of paralyzed him and had to be in hospital uh, and he had to be there for a long long time but one of the things he kind of he had a he was worried about he got he got really scared about was he said how Lord and he's praying to God and he's asking God how can, how can I do what you want me to do if I'm laying in my bed, I, I can't do the things, I can't stand up, do my sermons and, and tell everyone about, about the Lord. And as my memory serves, he then says that the Lord told him, well, you can still speak, can't you? And I thought that was just an amazing story that actually whilst he's laying in his bed and the nurses attending to him and the doctors attending to him, uh, the Lord's still got a mission for him in that he can still speak and he can still share the gospel. Uh, and we're so taken with the physical uh, that sometimes it does just for a moment take us away from what God can do even in the most smallest of abilities in ourselves, um, but actually can do great things. But we see this sort of concept 
understood in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 to 10 says, uh, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I, I love this because it, it, it's kind of referencing this this is a reference to life on earth in our temporary home. Well, I just want to make that clear that when we're talking about healing, we are talking about healing here on earth in that sense. So Paul delights in his weaknesses. He, he understands even after petitioning, petitioning, that even though he still has this thorn in his side, God, God helps him to see how it could be used for good. He delights in weaknesses not for weakness's sake, but that he has learned that his affliction, pain or thorn actually represents the power of Christ even more. Less of me, more of him, uh, as the verse says in, in, in a maybe different translation. But here's what Paul's doing, saying, if my affliction glorifies God, then let it be. So whether, whether we have a, a thorn in the flesh or a or, or a healed of pain, uh, we must learn that in both God is glorified. And in healing, we see that God is glorified in the same way. Just to give you this example, that it doesn't change regardless of whether there remains a thorn in the side or whether there is a, a healing going on. We see this in, in uh, John 9 verses 1 to 3. And it says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Whether the blind man healed or poor who suffers in affliction, Christ's power is displayed through those who believe. And I suppose the question comes back for all of us is, do you, do we trust in the sovereignty of God and know that the sovereignty of God is not driven by what we determine to be right, but what God has deemed is right and good for us? And that's something I think we need to really get to grips with because uh, we, we talk about a lot about how God heals and God performs miracles through the Holy Spirit and that's awesome and great, but we also need to acknowledge that miracles and the glorifying of God is also done when it's not comfortable for us when it doesn't seem right that what God is doing that he doesn't necessarily heal in that moment and that even in that there is a glorification of God but we need to we need to get to grips with what that glorifying is we need to understand it's not that God done something wrong it's not that God has made a mistake it's that God is authority and that's what it means to become a Christian. It is to lay our lives down as Christ did, so our lives may be 
driven, as it were, by the Holy Spirit, but by God, who is the Holy Spirit also, and that our lives may reflect and represent him. That when someone asks you that when you're walking along the street, maybe you're in so much pain that it hurts, but that actually, when that person learns you're a Christian, I would, I would suggest that in those occasions, certainly, there is somewhat of a disbelief. How can you believe in this God and yet you are this way? Because this glorifies him. Whatever state I am in, it glorifies and he uses it for the good of the kingdom. And so it's something to get to grips with, uh, even if maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're on the fence, maybe you're just thinking about how does this whole Christian thing work? I'm telling you that Jesus said it will not be easy and it will not be easy and we need to get to grips with that. We live in a broken world. Romans 8 verse 28 says this, uh, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Uh, we also see this in our psalm, in our reading here. Psalm 103 verse 5 says, Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Our desires not, not satisfied with things, uh, with our things, with the things that we think need uh, to address our desires, but with the good things of God, aligning our desires with God with God's desires, and therefore the good things of God, whatever they are. And so next, uh, as we, we keep delving into this message, uh, I may be jumping around a bit, but we, we do need to get to grips with certain things, and I want us to understand certain aspects of this message. There is so much more that we could do, but clearly not enough time to address them all. So maybe I'll do that later on, and maybe you could let me know if there was something that you needed uh, that you wanted to uh, me to look at more deeply and I can do that as part of these sort of little videos during the week so uh, you can also let me know uh, that as well and I can dig into that and we can uh, I can share that with you about what the Bible says about these things uh, that certainly challenge us but the next thing we're going to look at uh, is the principle of being crowned um, this principle is important in understanding the wider narrative of receiving benefit, blessing from God, but that it's not ours to own, but that gives us something of worth that we can offer back to God's throne. And it says here uh, in verse four of our reading, it says, uh, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And I think it's important to understand the purpose of being crowned as believers. What we see in the Bible are crowns of life in James. Here we see crown of love and compassion. Esther receives the crown that ultimately represents grace and favour. We have been crowned with glory and honour, the crown of salvation, the crown of grace and mercy through the crown of thorns on Jesus. So there are many crowns, but what is the purpose of them and how does it relate to this psalm? Let's have a look at uh, Revelation 4 verse 4. Uh, it says, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. 
what is happening uh, here is that the 24 elders are bestowed with crowns of gold on their heads by God showing his favour and love on them. But let's jump to Revelation 4, same chapter, but different verses, 10 to 11. And it says, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things. By your will they were created and have their being. God gives authority and righteousness, righteousness only to people who give their life to Jesus. More than any other part of creation, us as beings are given authority to a degree and righteousness, certainly righteousness. God gives us the golden crown so that we might have something that is worthy to offer. God gave gave to us so we offer it back and so they the elders in this verse here show clearly that it's it's not about their how they look and how they appear and, and that they've been given these things by god but actually there is a purpose to them in laying them back giving them back to god we offer it back as it were well, that's what god calls us to do is to offer back what he's given us not because it was worthy because it sat on our heads and that's given some sort of worth in itself. But because God created and we created it and we are worthy because of it. So it's the only thing we can offer back. Because we know that the Bible tells us in Isaiah 64 verse 6, all of us have become like the one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. So only the gift of righteousness through the white, clean robes and the crown of gold will suffice in making us worthy. So what I believe David is trying to convey is a sense of worthiness that can only be given to us by God in our unworthiness. When we understand that God has made us worthy through Jesus and that we will be with him in eternity, that should make us fall down at the throne at his feet. That should say, I don't care what all these things are. If anything of it is of any worth to you, Lord, may it honour and bless you. May it, may it bless you and, and may it represent and reflect the kingdom. May it be of worth to you. We have our being that can be redeemed because of him who created us and sent his son to die for us. It's all because of him. So let's address the last point. Because we've come to the point here where we've understood, hopefully, that it's all about God and he is worthy and in our unworthiness we are made worthy. We saw earlier that actually that Paul says, in my weakness I am strong. Not because he is strong, but because it's the Lord Jesus. So let's look at our last point here of fear and fear of the Lord and faithfulness. The second half of the psalm of Psalm 103 contains the term those who fear him three times its actual context is something called the fear of the lord that's what we look at and we see that in many verses in the bible it's tied up with obedience and faithfulness what i want to finish on here is explaining the concept of the fear of the lord we can often get a little confused over this concept of what it means to fear the lord but i i think we can figure out the basics of what god means through scripture 
And what I will say is there are only two ways to experience the fear of the Lord in a very broad sense. The first one is from within looking out and the second is without looking in. That is to say that you either experience the fear of the Lord as a Christian being in, the, in, in God, in Christ Jesus and looking out at, at the awe and wonder of what he does or you are not a Christian, you don't believe in God and there is looking at the fear of God from the outside as it were. And these two experiences are very different. I think the best way to see this is in Proverbs, where we're bombarded by what fear of the Lord is for those who are in God and those that choose not to be. So let's look at a few of these verses uh, now. It's start with Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8 verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 15 verse 33 says, wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honour. And you notice that just speaks back into the verses in Revelation where it's not about the honour of the elders but actually their humility when they come and lay down their crowns, they lay down uh, the robes, as it were, uh, uh, lay down the crown to the Lord. So they lay down everything that he's given them, as it were. And then we have Proverbs 19, verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. In Psalm 103, there is a very clear distinction in how we receive the benefits of living under God and believing in him wholeheartedly. These verses in Proverbs give us a very quick but clear understanding of what the fear of the Lord is. But in relation to Psalm 103, there's a greater sense of what the fear of the Lord is. David is coming in reverence and in awe of an awesome, powerful God. He's praised for God and the repetition of those who fear him, as he says three times, is intentional not only to tell himself but to warn others of future generations. So God is still a God to be feared whether you are a Christian or not. The difference is when we view fear from a believer's perspective, we are to understand that the fear of the Lord is one of the major factors that should preserve our faith in him. Rather than be the reason on its own to come to him, we're not scared into faith. Actually, when we come to faith and we come to believe in him, the fear of the Lord preserves our faith in him. 1 John 14, sorry, 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. As believers, we no longer have to cower in fear, but enjoy the protection of our Father's arms. If we can accept God's perfect love, then we can be content. Isaiah 11 verse 2 to 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, And he will delight in the fear 
of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. I find that verse amazing. Just on verse 3 where it says, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. As believers, we stand in delight in the fear of the Lord as we now see it as the majesty of God, but still in awe and wonder and reverence, but we now watch from inside, as it were, and just watch God work and watch God uh, in his awesome power. So what David is trying to convey, trying to tell us, is really don't become conceited. He's warning at the end of each of those lines where he says, those who fear him is in fact a warning. It is not universal that all these things will come to people, the benefits, unless we believe and trust in the Lord. So don't become conceited, he's telling us. Don't become proud, self-sufficient. Don't drift away in hard-heartedness. That's why he says here, uh, in verse 15 to 17, he says, The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children. God and the benefits that David praises God for are for those that have understood that the wrath of God is very real. But that shouldn't be the only reason that we come to God. Jesus made it possible that we could understand the love of God was accessible for those that are willing to let go of the hard-heartedness, willing to let go of things that they worship. And that's not to, co to condemn anyone in the sense that I am better or Christians are better. Actually, as Christians, we should be telling people how did we get from there, from that idolatry, and although that still does happen, how do we get from this point where the idolizing of things of the world is no longer the things that drive us, is actually our Lord and Saviour, our Holy Spirit that lives within us. We are determined and we persevere in seeking the very real God, real Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. And to understand that the fear of the Lord is sanctuary and salvation to those that accept Christ Jesus. So as we draw this to a close, I want to tell you today that Psalm 103 is ultimately a message of God's sovereignty and reign over all creation. I make no bones about it, and you, many of you will know, know how I convey a message, but there is a choice to make. To become a Christian, you will need to surrender your own ambitions, your plans, a way of life. As a Christian, we will need to let go of our own wants and needs and live a life that is led by God and not just accompanied by God. God is not someone who's just walking with us. He is actually walking ahead of us, leading us all the time. And we can choose to trust his walk, we can choose to trust his direction, or we can go our own. So there's a very real choice to make. But as David's first words and last words state, praise the Lord my soul. It will be no easy task to bring our whole being under God's authority from day to day. That is the challenge, the real life of being a Christian.
but I know that God will honour that perseverance in faith, hope and love for his children, through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So whether you're a Christian or, or not, I do invite you again to understand, come to pray to him and understand his authority and his sovereignty. Because if we don't accept the sovereignty of God, when times get bad, when times get rough, we can allow the enemy to persuade us that God is not the God we thought he was. And so we get into the word, we get into prayer, we arm ourselves, we shield ourselves so that we are protected from the lies and the accusations of the enemy. And I know that God will honour that, that perseverance in faith. And so that's where we draw our message to an end today. I'm just going to pray before we worship one last time um, and then uh, we'll close our service today. Uh, so let's pray. Lord,